Welcome to Friday's Child the Podcast, formerly known as Life School ME. When I started Life School back in June 2019, my vision for where I wanted to take the podcast and how it would grow was not 100% clear. I knew I wanted to interview inspiring women and share their stories, but there was no grand plan. And that's okay. I'm a firm believer in starting before you're ready. But after falling pregnant with my beautiful daughter Mavia and deciding to focus on the world of bumps and babies for series two, I discovered a new passion for all things related to pregnancy and birth. The things I learned about the female body and birth during my pregnancy journey have changed me forever and ignited a newfound passion and love for this subject matter. So Life School has been reborn as Friday's Child and during this series I will be talking to first-time mums, childbirth educators and industry experts on all things motherhood. Whether you're newly pregnant, a first-time mum, or maybe you just want to find out more about the world of babies and motherhood, I hope you enjoy listening to my wonderful guests and that hopefully you can take away some helpful information and insights. Now let's get on with the show. For this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to the founder of Play Matters Dubai, Lana Svetova. Play Matters is a PKIP-based parent-baby playgroup focused on natural baby development, parent-baby attachment, parenting support, and baby socialising. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Lana, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's so exciting to be on the podcast that you've been listening to. It's quite unbelievable, actually. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm so grateful for your patience as well to make this happen because I know we've had a few back and forth and it's very difficult when you have children and their routines are changing all the time, especially for mine because she's only four months old. So I'm really happy that we are finally making this happen. So thank you for giving me some of your precious evening time. Um, I want to start by um, talking about Play Matters. So can you tell me a little bit about the concept and how it was birthed? Yes, sure. So Play Matters Dubai is how my project called. It's my company here in Dubai. It's uh, less than one year old. And uh, it does, I think, just one service for now. Uh, I do Play Matters playgroups, which are PECIP-based. Uh, prog- um, I will tell about this program later, of course, what is PECIP. But just to say that it's PECIP-based uh, playgroups for parents with babies of the first year of life. Uh, and uh, this was my main objective uh, to make this playgroups available for Dubai parents and this is what I'm doing now. Uh, I think I want to do also private consultations soon uh, and maybe it will grow bigger this project who knows but for now this is what it is yes and and so you take babies as young as two months three months Actually, the program uh, allows us to take babies as young as four weeks only old. Yeah, uh, as long as they're happy and uh, healthy and have regained their birth weight, uh, they can start this early. It's done uh, mostly for the sake of parents than babies uh, because uh, parents really need support basically from day one yeah uh by four weeks we hope that more or less they understand where is uh left and right and a little bit understand yeah. what's going on and can start attending something systematically and we want just to jump in as early as possible and to provide them with support and information and a place to be uh because they need it a lot so are the classes mixed? So if, if you want to attend with, like me, my four-month-old, would, would I be in a group with similar ages or are they all mixed? Uh, no, they are grouped very closely in age. Uh, the biggest gap we can have is two months. Mm. Uh, one month, uh, one month and a half, something like this, maximum two, because of course they need to be very close uh, and more or less on the same stage of development. It is not always depending on their age, right? Because sometimes someone is faster with one side of development, some, someone is faster with another. Uh, there will be always some kind of differences, but so they are not too far apart mm. yes I think and compared um, sorry you were saying 
Yeah, uh, compared to some other programs, I think we have quite strict rules in um, grouping babies very close in age. Yeah. It's one of the things that I'm now struggling with. And obviously, particularly in that newborn phase, or let's say first year of your baby's life, every week there seems to be a new challenge but particularly at the moment it's how to keep her entertained because she's not newborn anymore so she doesn't just want to sit there all day i want to stimulate her and it's sometimes really difficult to think of things um that she can enjoy and do so what are some of the things um that mothers can expect from joining one of your groups with their little ones what sort of activities um do you offer yeah, uh, we are doing games. We call them movement games because most of them, they base on um, making baby move actively. This is our main priority. And uh, exactly this is the purpose of the program, providing parents with uh, ideas how they can play with babies as young as four weeks old. And uh, of course, four months old, like your baby, and all the way into the um, uh, bigger, uh, even toddlers. Mm -hmm. uh, we uh, we propose uh, these games to parents during our playgroup. Uh, we do it in a very gentle and a slow way, I would say. So there is um, this time that we spend together. It's ninety minutes. It's quite long, but it allows us to go with uh, with the condition of the baby, to take it slow and to give everyone a chance just to behave naturally, you know? Because sometimes in the class, uh, you feel like you need to do lots of things and to forget a little bit about everything else and just to jump onto all those opportunities that you see around yourself. We want it not to be a class, we call it a play group. So it should a little bit resemble a play date that you might have with your friends at home, for example. Uh, so everyone would be behaving naturally, doing uh, what they would be doing with their baby at home, right? Feeding the baby, I don't know, taking, uh, taking a break, talking with the baby, talking to the other mom, and playing when when the baby is ready and when mm. the, you are ready and it's very baby if the game, it's very baby led it's it's the our main principles yes and each game is uh, not uh, a scenario but it's um, shaped as a proposition so i always say to parents let's propose this to baby we propose an object or we propose uh, a movement we propose uh, a body position and we uh, see how the baby reacts. How do they find this experience? Are they even interested? Do they want uh, to explore? Uh, do they want to do something with it and to see what happens? Mm -hmm. Do they want uh, to repeat it and repeat it once again? Or do they need a break? Or did it make them, uh, I don't know, too excited and they just need to be rocked a little bit in the mother's arms? So each, um, uh, each proposition uh, can result differently in any baby during the same class, even if they're absolutely of the same age. And even with the same baby, they can play differently this week and the next week. Yeah, even I'm finding that something that she enjoys this week, you know, she might not like, you know, next week and, and vice versa. Lana, what's been one of the most challenging things about setting up this business whilst being a mother yourself? Oh, well, uh, I think that I would never start this enterprise if I were not a mother. That's probably a certainty. Because, um, well, first, of course, because I got lots of experience with babies and different baby approaches and programs and everything while being a mother. And I kind of studied the market very well because I tried lots of things here in Dubai with my son. I really know how it all works and uh, what uh, what is offered here. So I was already kind of, I didn't need a market research. 
I already had this experience by myself. It helped a lot. I knew, I don't know, I knew the right people. I knew the professionals who work here uh, with parents and babies. But even more important is, I think, this um, empowering feeling that motherhood gave me, uh, knowing that I can really uh, have a responsibility and I can cope no matter what. Because uh, when I was thinking about people who opened businesses before, I was like, but that's so scary. What if things go wrong? You have no one to turn to. You don't have uh, a boss who's going to save the situation. Like, how do people even, how are they so brave? And after that, I was uh, mothering my son and there were so many very difficult situations and I was completely on my own, like with my husband on a business trip. And I'm being here 24 seven with this baby alone, a first time mother uh, in Dubai, away from my family and friends. And I just had to do it. And uh, it was just, you just do it and try to do it well. Uh, and after that, uh, uh, some, I don't know, maybe after the first year, I was like, but I'm just a rock star. I can do anything. Like, I survived this year. I just, I don't care. I, I just, uh, I don't know, I don't care what people think anymore because you you just stop caring at some point. Otherwise, you're, you're ruined. Uh, I know how to form my own opinion. I know how to find information. I know how to find help. And I know that even if there is no one to turn to, I can do it on my own. You know, and this is something that I think I never experienced to this intensity ever in my life before. I love that and, so much. Yeah, and after that, I was just, I want to do this. It's scary. It's difficult. I don't know if it will work out, but I will just try. I give. I will give my best to it. Um, and it can't be more difficult than raising a baby. <laughs> it's so true. I, I sometimes now, I feel nervous about things. And then in my mind, I think, hang on a minute, you gave birth, you can do this. <laughs> you are yes. you are stronger than you think. Um, so I love that you say that and especially that you felt like a rock star because it is one of the hardest jobs, if not the hardest job you'll ever do. So the fact that that experience gave you that confidence to be able to, to sort of channel that into a new career and a new business goal is, is amazing. Um, if you're a mom like me, Lana, and your baby hates tummy time, what advice would you give? <laughs> Does she still hate it? She's, at four not, months? she's not a fan. Um, she loves being on her play mat on her back and she's starting to show signs of rolling. Um, mm -hmm. When I put her on her tummy, she really doesn't like it. Now, she likes to be held on my, on my chest and look up and be up. Um, uh -huh. but actually being placed on her tummy, she really, yeah, she doesn't like it. She starts crying within sort of five seconds. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, of course, uh, I will say that general advice doesn't exist, obviously. So, um, you always need to talk about exact, a certain baby in exact certain age, because not liking tummy time looks very different. Uh, like some babies are let's say, too relaxed to be on their tummy and that's why it's not pleasant for them. And some babies are too tense, like too, too strong and um, kind of all curled up to okay, be comfortable on their tummy. And some babies maybe don't have enough um, arm control or neck control or back control or uh, some of them, uh, I don't know, uh, may be sensitive to this thing or another. So there are so many reasons why it can um, be unpleasant for the baby to be on the tummy that hardly general advice exists. Of course, uh, it's perfect when someone can see the baby together with you or when you can show a video of a baby to someone uh, I mean, even not a specialist, not everyone, of course, can get access to one. Uh, but even to another moms, 
uh, who have experience, even if you could just show a video mm -hmm. that tells much more than just saying my baby doesn't like it. You but know? you've hit, you've hit on something there that perhaps I'm choosing the wrong moments to try it. So it's not just a case of let's do some tummy time. You need to to pick your moment because maybe that's that's the issue. Because um, I'm trying to do other things to help her get that neck and head strength, which she she does enjoy. It's just tummy time. And it's something that you hear a lot when you're a new mom, like, do tummy time, do tummy time. Um, so I think you can feel a bit of pressure that, oh, gosh, I'm not doing it enough or my baby doesn't like it. Yeah, the good thing is that tummy time can be substituted with something else. Like, as you said, if she's lying on her tummy on your chest, that counts too. If you are doing laid back breastfeeding, that counts. If you're carrying her on your arm and she's being placed uh, tummy down on your arm, um, anything along that line, right? It's still tummy time. Or I would also say that tummy time got a really good uh, promotion, but uh, along the way, we completely forgot about sidelining which is sad because sidelining is very beneficial and in many aspects even more than beneficial that tummy time and it can be easier to organize like if you put your baby on her side instead and you put something behind her back or you curl kind of like you spoon her uh, and give her support in that way and you let uh, the baby play on her side she will still get a lots of very interesting uh, activity and uh, things to experience and to cope with. Uh, but it is uh, even easier for younger babies, for example, than being on their tummy. You know, it, uh, it gives them more uh, options and more freedom to be on, this, on the side and on the tummy. Yeah, that's uh, such so a I good point. Because mm -hmm. I don't think that gets as much PR as tummy time does. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm yeah, going to yeah, try that it, after it you've said that. Yeah, and you were right when you were saying about the right moment because so many things happen to babies and uh, they are uh, at one time, at any moment, they can be coping with absolutely different kind of inputs. There can be some sound or light or clothing, a temperature in the room. Uh, they had, I don't know, just had a feed and they're digesting or they need to eliminate. Uh, they can be hungry, tired, so many things. Yeah, so so many of things. course, uh, you would want your baby to be in the best shape to do something challenging. Uh, and you would need to provide some kind of um, cheer, cheerleading, mm. uh, being there and really trying to channel that energy that I'm here for you. Let's try this thing. I can make it great for you. I can uh, put my face right, right in front of you. For example, you know, when you put the baby on the changing table and you sit in front of her so she can look in your face and that's her favorite uh, thing in the world to see right and you will be just yeah like look at me we're doing it yeah uh, and when she starts sending the signals that she doesn't like it and it's too much then of course you are there to say yeah okay I hear you you don't like it let's get out of it let's roll on our side you know, and let's spend some time on the side maybe, and then we will try to roll back on the tummy once again. And I think that um, kind of appreciation and support that babies feel uh, can, um, can help them to progress, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when they really feel that you are there, you are like the, their only hope and uh, the source of safety and love uh, and uh, everything good yeah absolutely and I think um the cheerleading thing is I, I can see in her little face when I start cheering her on when you know she like now her thing is she starts making noises you know she's kind of 
trying to get sort of start forming some some words and she's um you know blowing bubbles and you know and I'm so I'm like such a proud mum in these moments and her little face lights up when my face lights up so she she knows she can see that I'm sort of mimicking her and cheering her on and I think that's really important yeah yeah but it is really important that you don't um kind of substitute how she feels with how you feel because we can be really excited and like yeah you can do it you can do it you can do it and baby will be like i can't do it anymore actually uh so we always in pekip we go for this connection between parent and baby and this is number one priority and all those motor achievement they come after that mm. so ma maintaining the connection between parent and, ba and the baby is more important and the baby knowing that she can trust you yeah uh, that uh, like i don't like tummy time but i know that my mom will help me when i will need help this makes me feel much better about it right yeah. i know that i will be taken out of this position when i don't want to do it anymore otherwise it's just okay, this happens and I know this is where I'm made to stay and no one will come to rescue. Let's start crying straight away from second one. Exactly. And I, I'm very much parent, parenting instinctively. You know, I'm not, um, you know, obviously I try to educate myself, but I'm just very much going on my instincts and I don't let her cry. Obviously she does cry, you know, she lets me know that's her way of communicating, but I don't leave her to cry ever because I want her to have that trust in me that I'm there to help a situation. Um, now that doesn't mean I can always fix it immediately, but I'm always there to try and help her get out of that situation when she's not very happy. And that's just something I felt from day one. I haven't wanted to leave her to cry um you know and i know that babies cry and it's their way of communicating and sometimes they do just cry to cry sometimes you know you've ticked all the boxes and you just need to hold them and cuddle them you can't always stop them from crying immediately but i very much am on on the same page with you there i want her to feel that safety and that that trust and no disrespect to anyone who does anything differently i just that's that's how i yeah, I just kind of instinctively parent in that way. Um, and maybe that will change, but that's sort of how I've been from, from day one with her. Yes, and it's very important that no one should aim for perfection. Uh, what I'm talking about, yeah, it doesn't mean that you should always guess what's wrong and you should always help your baby straight away. It's not about that. It's uh, about the connection. Like yeah. you show uh, the baby that you you feel for her, right? I understand something is wrong. I'm trying to help you. Maybe I'm not guessing it right away, but I really empathize with you. And actually that, those moments when a parent is guessing what's wrong and those seconds or minutes that it takes uh, to deliver the help are also uh, helping the baby to learn how to deal with um, with stress, with, uh, with unpleasant moments, and that will happen just naturally. And as long as she doesn't feel that she's made to suffer on purpose and you're just, I don't know, teaching a lesson and I just want you to just, I don't know, toughen up. <laughs> toughen up, baby. You can do it. Uh, like you genuinely want to help, but you yeah. can't always do it straight away. It feels very differently. You know, it's two different things. Just being left to it and uh, receiving help not right away. Um, now, Lana, I am a huge advocate of hypnobirthing. And I saw that you took the amazing Jasmine Collins course. So how did you find that experience and how did that impact your birth? and then your motherhood journey um, afterwards. Yes, yes, I took Jasmine's course back in 2016 uh, when I was expecting my son, and I took this course with my husband. 
here in Dubai. Uh, by the time I was already so full of information about birth and taking care of babies and pregnancy and everything. And he still, of course, haven't read a book and haven't gone to any uh, pregnant events or courses, anything. So I was in a big part doing it for him. Uh, I wanted him to have that experience and just to hear all those things from someone else. So they don't come all from me. They come from another person and uh, he sees other people also going through this experience of learning about natural birth. Uh, and me, myself, I didn't know a lot about hypnobirthing. Like I knew about natural birth, uh, but I didn't know how hypnobirthing works. So that was totally a new experience for me too. Uh, I, I was very, um, I found it very, um, how to say, uh, kind of very good fit, not only for birth, but also for pregnancy. I think uh, doing those meditations and listening to affirmations hoped, uh, helped me also with the last months of pregnancy a lot. Uh, and later on, of course, it helped me with the birth. Uh, in my case, I can't say I really did hypnobirthing uh, because I uh, I lost ability to understand speech at some point, I think. So I just could not understand what people were saying to me. It seemed like too much an effort. Uh, so when my doula... Uh, Shireen, you interviewed her also Shireen, in your previous. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, she was my doula, and at some point she switched on those affirmations, and I was like, "No, I just really don't want to be processing that. <laughs> you know, that's incoming information, and I don't want it." But I knew I was birthing in a trance, and I loved it. I loved just being uh, absolutely out of this world, and. Uh, with my own breath and my own surges and just uh with my i think my eyes were closed for hours in a row like i was not opening my mm. eyes at all uh i just was i was staying there and doing it and i liked it that way and of course uh it's something that i think is impossible to do without preparation do you, you think you would have had do you think you ha would have had a very different birth had you not have done a hypnobirthing course? Uh, I think a preparation for just natural birth also gives you lots of tools. Uh, but I think the practicing that Jasmine is encouraged us to do when she was like, you need to listen to those recordings and you need to take time to actually travel on the rainbow and visualize uh, those pictures and everything. I think it paid off. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it's just, uh, you need to practice. You need to practice those, the briefing, those movements. Uh, so it comes more naturally and really automatically because in that moment, you can't be thinking about theoretical stuff or some tables in your head it's too rational for those hormonal state that you're in. I think it, it, it needs to be automatic by that point and you get it with practice. Yeah, you're so right. I was the same. I was listening to the tracks a lot, particularly towards the end of my pregnancy, but in the actual labor, I did have Jasmine's track on in the very early stages, but then like you, I didn't want it anymore. I just needed to be in myself, but the course, it, although I didn't have the tracks throughout my whole labor, all the course information that I'd learned and all the knowledge was in my mind. So I knew what was going on at every point. So although I was sort of not in the room, um, I could sort of hear people around me, but I, I, I couldn't talk and make conversation. I knew what was happening. I knew, I knew sort of the ins and outs of everything. And I felt very comfortable because I'd done the course. I knew that, okay, this is what this stage is. And you know, um, this is what the monitor is doing. And, you know, I, I just, I had that information. So I think you're right. Although you might get to the point where, okay, I don't need the tracks anymore. Everything you've learned subconsciously is there, which is helping you along, you know, along the way. Um, and did you end up having the birth that you had hoped for? 
Uh, yes, I think uh, I think I had. Uh, I was very satisfied with it, and uh, again, I felt very empowered because I did it. I um, didn't need any pain medication. Uh, I mean, I I think I was thinking about it at, at some point, but I'm happy it was not proposed to me, uh, as I wrote in my preferences, and. Uh, um, I I'm happy that I could I could do it and uh, the result was was good. I was feeling uh, I was feeling alright. Baby was feeling alright. I uh, I had to get some med medications, not pain medications, but uh, muscle relaxants. Like uh, I got buscopan, and uh, I was put into sleep for three hours in the early stages because I arrived quite exhausted already mm -hmm. in the hospital. And even if it made me feel like a failure a little bit, like, you know, I just arrived and I'm already being put on drugs. Like, it's so wrong. But I think the doctor made the right call because if I didn't get those three hours of uh, sleep, I wouldn't be able to do it uh, later without pain medication. But that's the thing, and this is what I really try to get across to people who don't know anything about hypnobirthing. It's not about having a natural drug-free birth. It's about having the birth that you want and that makes you feel empowered and positive. So it means whatever choice you make is the right choice for you and your baby that result in having a positive experience. And that might be having an elective C-section. That might be having an epidural. But it's about being informed and knowing that it's your part of the decision making. And so that decision for you was 100% the right thing because it enabled you to rest to get the strength that you needed to bring your baby into the world safely. So no one should ever be made to feel like a failure or you know anything close to that for the decisions they've made. During that time when you don't know how you're going to feel on the day. I mean, we have our preferences, but you don't know how it's, how it's going to play out. So I think that's something that's really... Um, kind of misunderstood about hypnobirthing. I think people assume that, okay, well, you're going to go and, you know, have your baby in the woods <laughs> with no help. Uh -huh. and, and, it, and it's just not about that, is it? Yes, yes. I think it really helped that I was trusting my doctor. This thing that they say, find your team, it's also a very important part of it. Uh, I was trusting the doctor. I was hoping she's doing the right call. Later, I found out Yes, she did make the right call. And uh, even that I was a little bit disappointed uh, that I had to take some drugs, uh, I was still like, okay, it's going to be all right. I'm in the right hands. Uh, it's not that I'm being tricked into anything. Because those thoughts that when you always have to second guess, maybe they have an agenda, maybe they're trying to trick me into anything, that's so exhausting. And that's not what you need to feel in that moment. In that moment, you really need to feel secure and relaxed. And that's one of the things that I really love about Jasmine's course is that she puts a lot of emphasis on making sure that you sit down with your doctor, go through your preferences, make sure they're the right doctor for you. And if they're not, change. Because you need to have that trust and that relationship with your doctor. So that like you say, yes. you know when they're suggesting something, it's coming from... The, the, a place of this is best for you not just okay well this is going to speed things up so I can get on to the next patient um so yeah I think that's really important yes yes it is and I'm uh, I listened to your birth story and I was so happy that you got uh, the experience that you were hoping for and I think it's really important. Uh, we start talking about it more, how the birth experience influences how the mother feels later about her baby, about herself. And I'm so grateful that I got it kind of off a right start, uh, that I felt a really good connection to my baby, that we've been through it together, that we made it, uh, and that all those... Um, the first hours went as I wanted them to go. Uh, we could connect straight away. This is, uh, I think this really helps. Like, I don't know, years later, my son, he just turned four this weekend. And he talks a lot about how he was born. He asks all kinds of questions. Uh, how, like, the times when he was in my belly and how he was born and how he was a baby. 
And I'm happy that because, I don't know, I'm informed about those things, I can talk to him about it openly. I was like, yeah, this was this way. And then it happened that way. I went to the hospital and I breathed a lot. So he knows that babies are being born uh, with breathing. And then when you come out and you went straight to my chest. Uh, and I see how he likes that story also a lot. It also helps him to understand, I don't know, where he comes from and how life is and what the family means, right? That he knows I was there, his father was there. Um, I don't know, it's, it's such a beautiful part of the family history. I really it's wish so that... Beautiful. Yeah, I, I wish we saw it that way. It's not just, I don't know, some intervention that you have to get through and forget about. It should be a great page uh, in your family history, in your personal history. Well, you're paving it forward because because of that beautiful, positive experience you had, you can then you know, impart that on your son. So he grows up with this narrative that birth is a really beautiful, positive thing, not something that's, you know, really scary and painful and um, needs lots of intervention, you know, no matter what. So it's, it has such a beautiful knock-on effect if you have a really positive experience. And by positive, I don't mean natural. I mean, you, you were part of the process and you felt like you made the right decision for you. That then you know, you can pass on to your children. And I can't wait to have those conversations with my daughter as well. I think that's, um, yeah, it's really beautiful. Totally, yeah. I'm investing in my grandchildren. I'm already preparing the better future for them. Like my son, he knows he was breastfed. He remembers about it. Uh, he knows that, like, how great it is. Uh, he still remembers the feeling. We talk about it. Um, so... Like for him, it's already a natural thing. Yeah. You know, when, when his wife. Yeah. Oh, you're going to be a lovely mother in law one day, Lana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will be a nightmare. I know too much. Like, don't let me near my uh, daughter in law. <laughs> shut up, shut up. <laughs> okay, we're going to do a quick fire round now. Um, what's your one piece of advice for first time mummies? One piece of advice is uh, value yourself. Uh, mother for the baby is such an important thing. And what you are doing can't really be 100% done the same way by anyone else. And those um, nappy changes and feeds and rocking in the arms and just sitting next to your baby and looking at her they are exactly what baby needs now. It might look like nothing. It might look like you need to do something else to justify that you're not earning money or you haven't done anything around the house. But that's just not true because being there for the baby is a thing. It's like an actual job that you're just being there for her whenever she needs you. And it's an exhausting job because it's like you are constantly on the hotline and you can be called any minute with very difficult question. And you don't have a weekends and uh, leaves and anything of that kind. So you're just constantly doing that very difficult job with the uh, health and uh, life of your baby at stakes <laughs> for starters, right? So never underestimate that. Just sing praises to yourself and make everyone around you sing praises to you yeah i think i needed to hear that as well because <laughs> sometimes you can forget when you're in it yourself um what are your top three essential items for first-time mums <sighs> uh what what is the most essential uh i think uh if it can be not an item but a service, I would say postnatal uh, pilates or postnatal physiotherapy. Uh, it can be very difficult to organize. I myself, I waited too long because I felt like I can't leave my baby. It was very difficult and like better late than never anyway. 
but I think that should be on uh, on mother's wish list, her own postnatal care. That's number one. Um, then I think, um, well, there's so many things that babies don't need actually. Uh, that I don't even know what is really essential. And probably a baby carrier. I think uh, you need to have something just, um, just in case. You will probably need it sooner or later. Uh, some babies don't like it, so I can't say it 100% uh, success thing. And I'm not only also saying that you should be wearing your baby every day. That's also not true. But I think that uh, those carriers, uh, they really uh, should be in the basic set of, uh, of new parents. And uh, there are too many, and it's another topic about how, ch how to choose the right one. I think the woven wrap, the one that just looks like a giant scarf mm -hmm. six meters long, you can't go wrong with that because that one is so versatile that you can put a newborn baby there and you can put a really big baby in there and after you see how it goes. So I think a woven wrap. Uh, the third one I think is a hammock. Uh, it's very difficult to have a hammock at home to install it, right? It's, uh, we don't have space, uh, but if I, we could dream, then I would say hammock because being able just to go in there with your baby and to have a contact nap together sometimes, it's a bliss. And, and when rock. the baby, and yes, because it rocks, it takes your body shape, it gives support to your head, neck, your arms. So you just, it's so much easier to nurse the baby in the hammock. And uh, if you're doing contact naps, it's also really great. And when the baby is bigger, and uh, if you can um, supervise her when she sleeps, sleeping in a hammock for the baby is also very nice. Wow, I've never right? heard it's, that one before. Yeah, because of the safety issues, mm. right? Because it can't be uh, called 100% safe thing to do. Uh, but as long as uh, you are there or it's supervised or the baby is already older or, I mean, at least toddler for sure, I, I'd say it's very cool. And again, when they get older and they start learning about balancing and uh, you want to help them uh, with their uh, this sense of, uh, of orientation, mm -hmm. uh, that hammock will come in handy once again, but you, because you can do really interesting things in that hammock with an older child too. Yeah, it's, it's something, I think, very versatile and that the whole family can enjoy for all those uh, years. That's really cool. Um, what's the one item you thought you would use but actually didn't? <laughs> if we're talking about the first year, I think it's the baby monitor. I had it right away. I think I haven't used it till well into toddlerhood years. It just didn't work. Uh, I couldn't leave my baby in the room and close the door and take a risk of um, hearing him crying on the monitor because I was so keen on uh, uh, like getting those early signals of baby waking up to help him go back to sleep, that I was absolutely terrified that I will miss them. He will be already crying after I will have to settle him back for another hour. Uh, and honestly, I was not getting out of the bed myself after he was sleeping. At night, he was going to bed at seven, I will be in bed at seven. Maybe I'm not sleeping right away, but just why should I get got out of the bed? Mm. I, I had very early bedtimes for several years in a row. Uh, I was getting more rest this way. I was um, sure my baby is all right. I was missing on uh, all the Netflix shows for two years in a row. Uh, 
you can understand we didn't have uh, like romantic dinners with my husband. Uh, it, it's not that I'm saying it's the right thing to do, but that's how it was for me. I yeah. really needed that. Uh, I really needed to be at night with my baby in the same room and not to leave him. Mm. I'm the so same. I get very early. This this is a late night for me. <laughs> yeah. um, what's one thing nobody warned you about before you became a mum? Well, I think no one warned me about uh, the impact that other people uh, can have on you. I actually did not know that our uh, hormones are wired to be hypersensitive to baby's signals, of course, first of all, to be super sympathetic and empathetic to everything. So it meant that whatever someone is saying, even if it's a complete stranger, it goes directly to my heart. Uh, I, I was not prepared for that. And of course, uh, I found myself in a very vulnerable position uh, when I'm so sensitive and so fragile and just really trying to figure it all out. And of course, I don't understand what's going on. Like I'm constantly worried about my baby and uh, like, am I screwing up something? How does it even need to look? Because I don't know what life with baby looks like. I, I never saw it, you know, just people with babies, they just disappear from your radar and you have no clue what goes on beyond those uh, closed doors. Uh, you only see the movies, which of course have nothing in common. So you have absolutely, even like with all the books and with all friends' advice, still you're navigating super unknown waters. And all those things that people tell you with this sensitivity, they throw you off balance so much. It's just, um, again, I think it's normal and there is there's no way of uh, protecting yourself from that. If it's hormones, it's just physiology. Oh, so I just would say, I don't know, try to prepare yourself for that. Mm. That you will be crying over what a person said in the elevator. Just, and that's all right. And you're still doing a great job. You will do it your own way. Don't care what people think. All those things, yes. But like no matter what you know in your brain, your heart will be open in those first months it's so true because your senses are heightened you know i wake up just before my baby wakes up you know i know just before she's going to cry i can hear her from miles away you know it's your your senses are so heightened so obviously that's going to have a knock-on effect and sort of um lead into other areas of your life um it's only natural mm -hmm. isn't it so yeah you're so right um what's your favorite thing about being a mum? Oh, uh, I really loved, if we're talking about the first year, I really loved the connection. Being able to, to be so close to someone and to love them so much, uh, it's, it's an incredible experience. It's, uh, it's so big. Uh, it's, so, uh, it's so even difficult just they say it's like your heart is outside of your body it's exactly how it feels it's but it's so beautiful that i fell i fell in love with this uh, infancy age with the first year of life i think for this reason because this uh, connection that can't be compared to anything else you just like you and that person um you love each other and you're together and i don't know uh, it's incredible. Yeah, you are their everything. You are their world and vice versa. Yes. And yes. finally, Lana, what does motherhood mean to you in three words? Oh, um, empowerment, very much. Um, sisterhood, because once you're a mother, you really feel so much for other women. There is something like the, what you have in common, no matter like different parenting, parenting styles, no matter what. But you just know what it feels like when your baby cries. And that's something that just um, 
really makes all other mothers feel like sisters to you on some level. And I like that feeling. I like being connected to all other women of the world through motherhood. So empowerment, sisterhood, and um, empathy. Empathy, because yeah, motherhood teaches you so much uh, about understanding other person's feelings and uh, validating them, you know, because that uh, spoon fell down and the baby's crying and you just understand that, yeah, that was like really upsetting and it feels like a nightmare and I totally, totally can relate to that feeling and like, let me help you here. Let's, let's try to solve this together. And after you did all those like crazy empathizing with that stuff to babies and after toddlers, and uh, let's see what it has in me in future. I, I can only imagine empathizing with teenagers. I hope I can do that. I think after that, it really feels like you can uh, empathize with anyone about anything. And I think that uh, it must make women uh, better leaders, you know? Uh, I think that uh, just knowing the pain of other person and being able to relate to it um, could it can give us this uh, this unique power and skill uh, about solving conflicts. You know, mm. I think if you had an experience of just uh, of trying to find peace between two toddlers in a sand pit, after that you can regulate almost any war conflict on this planet. Because, like, the level of craziness, the level of stubbornness, uh, I, I think that that's really mothers, uh, they have this incredible experience that is not being used enough by the humankind. Oh, so true. Lana, thank you so much. I have absolutely loved chatting to you. Um, so thank you so much for giving me your time. I'm going to put all the information about Play Matters in the show notes um, so people can find out more and get in touch with you. So thank you. And I cannot wait to bring Mavia to one of your play groups. Thank you very much. I really like talking to you and I will be following you on Instagram and I just love seeing your parenting journey. Oh, thank you so much, Lana. Thank you. Thank you so much once again to the lovely Lana for her time. You can find more information about Play Matters in the show notes below, as well as a link to my personal birth story that Lana refers to during our chat. You can also find links below to our social media accounts, including the Friday's Child Facebook community. This is a group I have created in the hope to share positive birth stories, along with parenting life hacks, tips and tricks, general advice, and much more. And finally, I would be so grateful if you could show some love and please rate, review and subscribe to Friday's Child the Podcast to help us reach more wonderful mummers. Until next time, thank you for listening.